Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thanks for joining us for the second half of Take Two this week. Yesterday, Thursday, we spoke to Burgess Owens, the congressman, and running against him in the CD4 primary, Jake Hunsaker. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Uh, you're here on a day where there's a lot of talk, obviously, nationally about the Supreme Court. Roe v. Wade overturned after about 50 years of precedent. First, tell me where you stand on this issue and what you're thinking today. You know, it is a momentous day, uh, a, a big day for every American, and uh, we have institutions here that you know hold weight when they when they speak, when they rule. It holds weight and it impacts real lives, and uh, we trust those institutions, and that's what makes us American. You know, I'm pro-life. I applaud uh, the decision by the court to return legislative power on this sensitive issue. That's not part of our constitution. It's not enumerated as a right of the federal government. Uh, you know, back to the states. And uh, so I applaud uh, essentially the empowerment of, of states in this conversation and also as a pro-life, uh, you know, advocate for the unborn and a believer in the sanctity of life, uh, I applaud that decision from that perspective as well. I also acknowledge that there are many ways that we can and should at the state level empower families, empower expectant parents uh, through resources, through education, to make sure that they have the decision-making ability to make decisions that are pro-life and are in the best interest you know, of the child and of their family. That's through adoptive services and, and so forth. And I think that the states are well positioned to be able to make those decisions. What would you say to women or families or anyone who's listening today that's concerned and they're saying, you know what, it's my body, it's my choice, and my life could be at risk if I want to get an abortion, they go outside uh, the realms of the law. What would you say to them? You know, uh, the Utah trigger law, as I understand it, uh, allows for people to make, uh, women to make the best decision for themselves in cases of, you know, rape, incest, uh, health risk to the mother, and I believe that's appropriate. Very good. Um, other issues to talk about. Yesterday, the Supreme Court ruled on a New York City case about uh, the Second Amendment. This was talking about uh, carrying and uh, concealed in public. That goes to the broader issue of guns right now. Uh, yesterday, the Senate passed bipartisan legislation that really is probably the biggest legislation we've seen in a very long time where both sides have agreed, voted on it. It was passed by the House today. It looks a lot about health care, but it also looks at uh, the health of the person who is buying a weapon, and if you're younger, uh, the checks and balances that have to happen there. Do you support what was passed in Congress this week? Uh, in Congress, or you know, the Supreme Court ruling in New York yesterday really was another yeah. statement, essentially, by the court that says, "Listen, you know, if there's a right that's specifically mentioned or enumerated in the Constitution, it's the court's duty to uh, uh, to protect that." Uh, and you see that in terms of the the ruling in New York yesterday, a protection of Second Amendment rights, and I support that. Uh, and then, you know, in the ruling today, you see a return of legislative power on things that are not mentioned in the Constitution back to the states. And so I think both of these decisions, landmark decisions, they both empower states and protect constitutional rights. But what I will say that differentiates me, I think, from my opponent in this race 
is that these are complicated emotional issues for people and we should not have people in Congress who go out of their way to oversimplify, vilify, or uh, denigrate the other side in terms of what they believe and add toxicity to an already emotionally charged conversation. You know, you think about the way my opponent said that in order to be a real man, you need to know how to, you know, actively use a gun. To me, that uh, you know em empowers potentially violent offenders and, all and adds toxicity to the gun conversation outside of helpful rhetoric about constitutional rights, the framework of state you know, rights mm -hmm. versus the federal government and so forth. These are the things that we need leaders talking about, not the hyper-emotional, hyperbolic uh, you know, rhetoric that's used so often right now. There are specific laws people are talking about. One thing that Burgess Owens had a concern about uh, was red flag laws. He said red flag laws were a non-starter for him. Where do you stand on the issue? Well, on his website, he says that the reason he's against red flag laws is because they're a slippery slope. You know, whenever we legislate from a slippery slope perspective, that's sloppy, lazy rhetoric and legislation. We need to be looking at specific bills outside of buzzwords to figure out whether they uphold the Constitution, whether they uphold the rights of, of Americans, and whether they, you know, have a data-driven approach to actual problem solving. Do red flag laws allow due process for people who may lose a weapon because somebody says they're unstable or they sh are not fit to have one? You know, it depends on the legal terminology in each law, and I would say in, uh, we've seen some, for example, coming out of Seattle and, and liberal states that absolutely violate due process, and I would be unequivocally opposed to those. We also see, you know, DeSantis's Florida, which is, you know, a hotbed for conservative philosophy and policy, uh, and, 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 and Florida has some red flag laws that manage to maintain due process for individuals. And so it's a spectrum, and like I say, you know, legislating uh, on a slippery slope uh, philosophy is lazy. It's it's like saying, you know, the second we enact a speed limit on our roads, you know, that's the government trying to confine us to our homes. There are reasonable, you know, things we can do, and it's not all, you know, uh, you know, focused on red flag laws. It certainly also focuses on school safety, on mental health accessibility and awareness, on training for law enforcement and educators, and it's a multifaceted solution. Uh, Washington, D.C. has been busy in the past few weeks. There have been hearings going on for January 6th. Have you been watching those hearings? I have, yes. Uh, your thoughts? You know what? My thoughts are with the institutions of this country. You know, I, I grew up uh, following the elections during the era of the Bush-Gore drama, right? Early mm -hmm. 2000s. And the election outcomes in the 2000 election really came down to the decision of nine people in Washington, D.C. about whether to continue counting votes in specific counties in Florida. And whether you agreed with that decision then or not, the courts spoke in an apolitical way. And because we're America, we accept that decision, we reinforce the integrity of that institution, and we move forward. And that's, I think, what needed to happen in the past year. You know, whether or not you or I have all of the evidence in terms of what did or did not happen in specific counties around the nation, what we have is, you know, dozens of court rulings, dozens of apolitical election officials voicing uh, their uh, opinions that you know there was not widespread fraud and that Joe Biden is a legitimate president and whether you agree with you know the, the, that or not. They're also trying to get to the heart of whether or not uh, President Donald Trump, former President Trump, uh, has blame in here if it was his fault if he created this and also uh, a lot of people are concerned that they're not getting to the question of if there were failures in law enforcement. Do you think they can get to the bottom of those? 
I hope they can. I think you know it, there's a risk in every you know committee in every hearing to become mm -hmm. too political to be helpful. I hope that doesn't happen. But I also believe, as Donald Trump stated last week, that we should have had more Republican voices on that committee to make sure that we do have honest answers about what has happened, how we got to you know, for example, mm -hmm. January 6th, and how we move forward as a country. Right now in the state of Utah, gas prices are on average about 5.20 a gallon for regular gas across the state. President Biden is floating the idea right now, hasn't said for sure or not, about a gas tax holiday that would get rid of about 18 cents a gallon. Is this something that will help American families or are we digging a deeper hole by not paying those taxes in the long run? Oh, I think the federal government does one thing very well, and it's, you know, uh, fill this hole with dirt from a new hole. And so the gas tax break would do just that. It would create new deficit spending. And ultimately, 18 cents per gallon is not going to make up for a four, you know, three or four dollar difference per gallon of gas that, that Americans are footing the bill for at the pump. You know, my number one priority is to go back to Washington and be a fiscal hawk in my party and hold my party to account as much as the other party. And that means, it, you know, cutting inflationary spending. That means having honest conversations about how we protect funding for mandatory spending programs long term and in the short term getting the price of fuel down by doing you know things that all of us can agree on for example restructuring the Jones Act it's an early 1900s act that essentially creates monopolies in shipping of manufactured goods or uh, American uh, refined oil so that that you know jacks the price of oil there are things we can do to bring down the cost of oil short term certainly we need energy independence we need to support Utah's rural energy economy as well in an all of the above approach that gets the federal government out of digging these holes yeah. in the first place when I talk to Republicans and Democrats alike everyone says they're going to go to Washington and make sure that we cut back on spending but Republicans and Democrats alike both go to Washington after they're elected yes. and spend money and a lot of it is the way that Washington works there are these massive bills that aren't just one issue it's multiple issues and then there's the pork barrel spending with non-related issues that get added on yeah. can someone like you make a difference make a change or if you get elected you'll be part of the same problem you know, I think there are ways to create voting blocks and coalitions outside of the current power structure in Washington. We've seen other young legislators go back, buck the trends of their own party in, in many ways, mm -hmm. and create coalitions that the party leadership then needs to rely on in order to get things passed. That's the way I want to go back to Washington and work. But I also, you know, really, I want to focus on the way we pass a budget in this country. We're not doing it right now. And you, the way it's planned right now is that the budget should be passed in very targeted, very yeah. focused, budgetary bills throughout September, October, and we can't get those passed. And so that's how we result in these omnibus the spending cliffs, packages. Yeah. We get to fiscal cliffs. We have to raise the debt ceiling. The federal government shuts down. We create all of these crises, crises on our own. We need to solve the problem at its root, which is the budgeting process overall. Speaking of spending, everyone has a different idea of how spending or not spending will save you money in the long run. President Biden also saying that he's going to make a decision very soon on whether or not that he would forgive uh, school debt, which could be millions or billions of dollars. Is this a wise use of funding, getting rid of school debt and, well, paying off these debts for students that have this or now adult Americans help the economy or does this hurt us? Oh, you know, it, it is very clear, I think, to people on both sides of the aisle that Biden's approach to spending and solving inflationary problems is not working and in many ways has created this problem, you know, uh, from the beginning. We, you know, it's ludicrous to me that in this moment where we're all footing the bill for inflation, 
the answer from the Biden administration is to pump more fake money into our economy. That is simply not the answer now. It never has been the answer and it never will be the answer. That doesn't, you know, release me as a Republican from my responsibility to, you know, try and solve problems in terms of the cost of higher education. Encourage students to go to trade school and, and pursue lucrative careers, you know, that don't cost as much money. Uh, and hold schools accountable for the value that they create for students coming out of their doors. But that doesn't mean we pay for you know everything uh, in terms of higher education. Listen, you know, in terms of Republican philosophy, it's very inconvenient, uh, you know, to be the party that can't go around saying free this, free that, and and I feel the heat of that every single day. But what's more important to me is that we have a, an economy that's growing, small businesses that can thrive, mothers and fathers that can f you know, put food on on their on their dining table and, and and feed their children. I come from a family of 11 children, and we grew up having to you know make homemade bread and work our way around you know the spending issue because we just didn't have money, and we we leaned on our self-reliance, our resourcefulness our creativity, our ingenuity, those are things the federal government needs right now. So how do you take and change that? Because when I talk to people, it seems like the economy, inflation, how much they're spending on absolutely everything, you know, is the biggest thing that's weighing families down here in Utah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the federal government continues to view its job as solving all problems. And because of its lack of creativity, uh, the only way it can think to solve those problems is by throwing more money at them. And, uh, you know, that's just fundamentally a flawed uh, philosophy. Uh, it pumps fake money into our economy and makes all of us, you know, through taxes and through inflation, foot the bill for what's becoming an existential crisis of $30 trillion of national debt. And that's something that my children and their children are going to have to deal with because we keep kicking the can down the road. You know, we have to have honest conversations. It's not going to be fun. We're not going to make many friends in these conversations where we have to pull back spending on things that Americans have And can you do that? Everyone wants to have friends and wants to be liked. Everyone wants to have What it comes down to, to me, is you're not accountable to have friends across the country. You're accountable to show voters in your home district that you're doing the job that they care about. You know, you're lowering inflation for the country through cutting spending. You know, I look at the funding from my opponent, 80% outside of our state. That's someone that, you know, is trying to make friends outside of people who actually want a voice in Washington. I've built a campaign here on the ground because I know that what matters most is the vote from the person who feels that I'm their voice in Washington and I'm working on their behalf. How do you give a voice to Utah Democrats who feel like the way that uh, the districts are built, that there's really no way for them to have the representation that they want? How do you listen to them and make sure their voice is heard? Because we have very different voices here in the state. We do have a, you know, a very diverse state, even in the fourth mm -hmm. district, very diverse constituents. And I would say the number one job of anyone in elected office is to show up and listen. And right now, that's not being done. It's why my opponent hasn't shown up for four debates, all four debates during the primary process. It's why he didn't even bother to go visit with Democrat legislators during the last session here in Salt Lake. It's why he has only held four constituent town halls in his entire two years in office. This is someone who knows the money comes in out, out of state regardless of what he does, how accountable he is, and how many diverse perspectives he, he chooses to listen to here on the ground. And my number one job, as you know, the next representative from District 4, is to let everyone know that, yes, I have a guiding conservative philosophy and I believe in conservative ideology that's going to solve these problems, but that doesn't, it doesn't cost me anything to invite everyone into a room 
listen to perspectives and show up for the job that I've agreed to do. And that's something that's not happening right now. Before we let you go, uh, I checked, I think, a week out from the election in Salt Lake County. We were at about 17% voter turnout. There's a lot of people who haven't voted yet. They're trying to get educated, listening to podcasts like this and uh, get those votes in in time. Where can people find more information if you're new to them and they're trying to figure out who the right person is? Well, yeah, I am new to most people. I'm a first time candidate. We've had an uphill battle, but internal polling actually that we got this week shows that it's gonna, you know, every vote is going to matter. And so we need people to turn out. We need people to recognize that, you know, just that one little dot they fill in, it makes a difference. And we're gonna be leaning on them to show up uh, in record numbers so that we can have better representation. In the meantime, uh, they can go to Jake for Congress. We're in the fourth district, so it's yep. number four, jakeforcongress.com. I'm active on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and I'm always accessible via email and phone. I wanna be present and I wanna show up for constituents so they can reach out and I would love to answer questions. Very good. Jake Hunsanker, thanks so much for joining us today. And thank you for listening to this special edition of Take Two as we're heading into the primary election.